Hey, everybody. On today's episode of the Messengers Podcast, we are talking data security, information security, uh, a ton of really important, useful information in here, uh, not just for businesses, you know, although that's kind of who we typically like to target our small businesses and um, the people that we really feel like could benefit the most from this information, but uh, really important for everybody. I think it's information that really just needs to get out there that people need to know. Um, it's a lot of information about how data breaches happen, how credit cards are stolen in the real world, uh, the non-Hollywood version of how that stuff works. A little bit of a longer episode than we typically do, but um, hopefully really, really get some value out of this. Uh, so stay tuned. We weren't recording that all the time. Told you, two-bottle podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, 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 welcome to the Messengers Podcast. We are here today with Mr. Rob Seifert talking about a topic that is near and dear to my heart, uh, data security. Uh, it's something that we see <laughs> a lot of people struggle with uh, pretty often. What do you think? I think we have too much security for <laughs> a small business. We do not. You can't have too much security. Uh, actually, that's a, maybe a good place to start is um, on that topic because I know uh, one of the biggest issues that that we have in data security is trying to walk that fine line of too much versus not enough. You know, when and what tends to happen is not enough because people just want it to be easy. They don't want it passwords at all. They don't want, you know, whatever. They don't want any kind of security because it's just kind of a headache and a hassle um, all the way to the too much and things become too cumbersome to deal with. You're changing a password every week and you can't remember it and you can't. Um, and what tends to happen in those instances is you actually end up with an environment that's less secure rather than more secure um, because of what people need to do to try to get around really kind of heavy security requirements. Um, so, uh, you, you know, trying to, that's always something that we try to achieve, that I try to achieve uh, whenever we're talking about data security, information security, um, is is really trying to find where that line is, where that balance is between enough to make it secure, but not too much where people then have to start trying to get around the requirements because they're overly cumbersome. Let me just uh, talk quick about a, an issue I know you had um, with, with some internal equipment where you forgot the password and it, it <laughs> prevented us from uh, uh, doing an upgrade to our uh, firewall and server system. I'm probably getting uh, terminology incorrect, yeah, but yeah, you, yeah. you tried for, for weeks and you couldn't remember the password. So, uh, and I know uh, fairly recently we came up with kind of a solution to store our passwords. Now, I don't know if that's a recommended uh, security measure, and I don't know how important the passwords are that we're storing, but uh, so 
Yeah. Two, well, really two elements to that. Right. And I appreciate you really calling me out on the well, on I the know podcast. You're a frustrated That's... about it, but we're talking about security. <laughs> no, so. Always good. Talk about all my worst flaws and <laughs> you know everything I do wrong. I appreciate it. This is topic of conversation here every day. What did Chris do wrong today? Okay. Chris screwed this up. No. Um, well, that one in particular uh, was was more of a um, an issue with me not getting out of managing our um, our kind of IT infrastructure here and really trying not to do that anymore. Um, it was something earlier on in my career that I had to do a lot more of was mm-hmm. worrying about um, configuring firewalls and doing all that kind of stuff. And after years of not needing to do that, uh, then trying to have to get back into that because we were having problems with something that I had set up eight years earlier mm-hmm. um, was was a bit of an issue for sure. Uh, I would say more along those lines, make sure you're working with somebody that does it all the time and not somebody that stopped doing it for four or five years mm-hmm. and doesn't really remember then how to actually <laughs> do that stuff. Um, and But anyway, so that was that, was that one instance in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really was more that it just would have taken a long time, uh, time that I didn't really have to to deal with. Um, and so we found alternatives. Okay. Um, and upgraded our systems in, the, in yeah. the meantime too. So it didn't end up being a horrible thing, but yeah. um, certainly would have been easier if I had remembered how to access Re- and make the changes that I needed to make. Really, I brought it up because of uh, something that everybody deals with, and that's a struggle with passwords, passwords that you were talking about. That's what made me think of it. Yeah, and that um, uh, kind of I, I wanted to talk a lot about passwords here um, because there's a lot of there's a lot of bad uh, password practices out there that. You know, they were made with the best of intentions, but um, have really resulted in in um, systems that are less secure. Uh, one of the things that we see all the time are passwords that are set by administrators, you know, where we get, um, you know, we deal with, not that we love doing it, but we do it because of, you know, the, a lot of the web work that we do. Uh, not to get too far off topic, but, you know, people tend to lump their website and their email kind of together as like a service and and that's kind of based off of the way that a lot of these hosting providers sell their, you know, web packages where it's kind of they're all bundled together and and really they should never be bundled together. They're two completely different things. They shouldn't sit on this, you know, in the same environments. They really should be separated out. Um, and, you know, it always ends up causing a ton of headaches when we have to take stuff like that over and, and deal with, you know, mm-hmm. migrations and whatever. But that aside... Um, one of the things when we then end up, you know, managing email and, and handling those for our, our customers, we get asked to do all the time is, Hey, can you reset this person's password and then just tell me what it is and then I'll tell them what it is. Mm-hmm. And then that's it. And, and, um, you know, so one of the first things we always tell people is no <laughs> passwords should be set by the user. Mm-hmm. You know, whoever's account that is should have that password. We have administrative access. You're not going, it's your business. I understand you want control over, you know, the data that's flowing in and out of your business and things like that. And there's, there is no, um, 
no representation of privacy when you are working uh, within the confines of your the business that you work for, right? If you're using the the company's computer, you're using the company's email system, all that kind of stuff. Um, we've we've seen issues with that in the past where people feel like, well, this is private because. I'm sending an email from myself to somebody else, but yeah, you did it on the company's computer from your company email account and, you know, over your company server, like the, it's, there's no, there's no privacy there. It right. doesn't exist. Um, you know, your company is responsible for what you're sending in and out and the, the information that passes in and out. They need to make sure that it's, that they're not going to get in trouble, that there's no legal issues there. Um, so I, kind of a, you know, a little bit of a, of a divergence there on the topic that we're talking about, but ultimately, mm -hmm. um, know that if you have the right systems in place, you have access as a, as a business owner or somebody who's responsible for managing the security practices of that business, you have access to whatever you need access to, mm -hmm. um, that person's individual password doesn't stop you from gaining access to their email account if you need it or, uh, you know, if you get, if that person is fired or they leave or, or whatever. So, so don't shy away from allowing people to control their passwords. Um, and what ends up happening more often than not is then everybody in the organization has the same password because, you know, the, the business owner said, well, I, it just needs to be easy for everybody, which means then everybody has access to everybody else's email. There's no compartmentalization of information. If, you know, even if you want there to be, um, and it just, it, it just is a nightmare. Um, then we also see, you know, like they'll share email accounts, you know, well, I just want, you know, uh, info at, and I want four people to have access to that account. So we're just going to set up one email account. I'm going to set the password uh, and they're all going to have access to it. And then, you know, Johnny in accounting forgets what that password was and goes through the password reset process and resets it. And now, you know, the other three people that had access to that account no longer have access to it. And, and it's just, you know, one account per user. Let that user set their own password. Don't set their password for them. Mm -hmm. um, and then along with that, don't let people share passwords. You sh nobody else should ever know what your password is for just about anything. And the, the, um, generally speaking, if you're finding that that's necessary in, within your organization, it means that there's a problem somewhere with, with a system that you don't have the right system in place to manage what you need to manage. Now, there are um, exceptions to that rule. We have exceptions to that rule. Like you said, we do have uh, like a central repository, basically our own kind of password management system for accounts that we know need to be shared, you know, um, stock photo accounts and, um, you know, things like that where we know, you know, uh, reseller accounts for, you know, with places that we partner with where we have agency accounts and things like that. And, um, you know, if they don't have the facilities in place to allow us to manage individual user accounts where we know multiple people are going to need access to that, um, there's ways to handle that uh, in a way that allows you, if you have a disgruntled employee that leaves or is fired, to be able to understand what 
access they had, what, you know, information they had access to, what accounts they had access to, and then change those passwords and update that in a place where then that person no longer has access to, you know, so we, we keep ours internally here on a server that's only accessible if you are physically in the building plugged into our network. That's the only way that you can actually access that. So we know if any, if something like that ever happens, we can update the password. We can update our password manager. People he that are here that still need access to it can have access to it. Uh, and there's a way to kind of do that where you're not just giving everybody the same password all the time and, and you know, dealing with it that way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the other thing we, <laughs> we just dealt with it here today and, and um, it, it, it is a another huge pet I mean this topic in general is a huge pet peeve of mine I it's mm. it I can go on for days but um make sure your employees know that they're not supposed to write passwords down anywhere the first thing you know you have a somebody in a cleaning company that comes into your office or however the breaches happen, they happen. You know, everybody thinks, well, nobody's trying to do that to me. Nobody cares about my password to this, that, or whatever. But understand that people keep a lot more information on their computers than they realize. You keep a lot more information on your computer than you realize. And somebody that's in the building alone that has the ability and the access to be able to say, oh, you know what? There's a piece of paper right here that's got their their password to log into their computer. And then from there, all I have to do is open up their email program, which then has a record of what bank they deal with and what their what email address they use to log into that bank. And let me see if this password is the same as the password that they use to log into that bank. And, you know, it it is that easy for breaches to happen. That's how it happens. Um, and, and to assume that you are not a target is just naive. Everybody is a target. There is always something somebody can do with the access that, that they're given. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody in the world that has that access is going to try to take advantage of it, but those people do exist. It happens all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, just don't write your passwords down. Don't do it. It's right. just it's yeah. it's as simple as it gets. And Don't write the password down. And pick a good one. Well, and that so that is a huge topic in and of itself. Um, and and that's where I have a lot of issues, not just with the passwords that people individually choose. Um, but even with a lot of the systems that have been built by uh, developers that are not knowledgeable enough themselves in proper security practices and what they really should be doing uh, to enforce strong passwords. Um, and the, the biggest takeaway from, pa from a password strength uh, perspective is – Make them as long as possible. Length. Length is without a doubt the number one indicator of the strength of a password. So uh, anytime you go on a, a, you know, a website where it's there, where the goal is just, you know, a bunch of different characters and alphanumeric characters and, you know, capitals and lowercase, 
I'm not going to say that stuff doesn't help. It, it does help to an extent, but ultimately if it's a six character password, it can be cracked within I, the number I think is somewhere under a minute. Yeah. Um, regardless of what you include there. Uh, and, and really now we're for a while we were at eight characters was kind of then, all right, that's kind of the minimum. And I think now there's, um, uh, somebody built a rig fairly recently, um, using, uh, we use, they use graphics processors now because they can process a lot of functions really, really fast mm. instead of like a, um, like a regular chip or regular CPU. Yeah. Um, but they built a rig that used like eight uh, NVIDIA chips, I think it was, and was able to, they were able to crack um, like any 12 character password hash within something like something ridiculous, like under eight minutes mm. or, or something like that, or and, and some crazy, crazy number. Uh, and somebody found out, you know, they were looking at, well, what's the, what are the chance and, and open source password cracking software. Um, so it's not even like, you know, some crazy hack. I mean, this is something basically anybody can go online and can download. Um, and so then there's a lot of talk, well, who's going to spend $12,000 on, you know, on a rig to actually do that and whatever. Well, first of all, there's probably enough value in doing something like that, that you might, mm -hmm. um, but then somebody else did the math and they figured out it would cost about to, to rent that kind of computing power to be able to crack that password in like 12 minutes uh, cost about 25 bucks from Amazon Web Services if you if you outsource the computing power. To there. Mm -hmm. So um, it, so the bottom line is length. Right. Make it a sentence, some sort of a you know weird sentence that, you know, you'll remember, um, but that's got, you know, spaces. And if you know, if you can include punctuation and things like that, that's great. It helps. But length, length is without a doubt the number one indicator of the strength of your password. Um, and and just as kind of a quick explanation as to why that is, if you think about um, – uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways to try to crack passwords. There's dictionary attacks where we find, you know, there's there's published, you know, the top 1,000 list of most common passwords used in the world, right? So that's usually where people are going to start. They're going to say, okay, I'm going to go through this list of 1,000 and, you know, and a right. decent computer can go through that list in few seconds. Right. Um, yeah. You know, so you start with stuff like that and then it's common, commonly used terms and, you know, dictionary, you know, dictionary attack basically is words and, and, you know, words with common, um, yeah. uh, substitutions, you know, so the at symbol instead of an a or, right. you know, capital letters and lowercase letters, the exclamation point or the number one instead of an I or an L or, you know, all that kind of stuff that everybody thinks they're doing. That's tricky. That, uh, hackers, everybody's known about that stuff forever and right. it's all been accounted for. Um, your kids' names. Yeah. Your birthday. Exactly. You know. You know, and for the most part, I always pet. say like that kind of stuff is really – if one person is targeting you specifically, that's when that stuff kind of becomes you know, a lot easier to guess and, and take advantage of. Um, that's rare. What, that that happens where you have somebody that's saying, look, I, you know, Rob Seifert, I want to get into your email account 
you know, I know, here's what I know about you. I went on your Facebook page and, and, you know, know what your daughter's name is and know what your son's name is and when, when they were born and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's really rare that that stuff happens, but it does happen. Uh, but typically what you're looking at is somebody that's, that is brute forcing, you know, I got a list of 10,000 emails, you know, that I know have accounts on this service or I'm hoping they have accounts that, you know, and I'm going to try every password combination I can for each one of those emails to try to get access to whatever I can get access to. And, um, you know, but, but when that stuff happens, uh, one of the main ways they try to do it is just a brute force attack. It's I'm going to try every possible combination of every alphanumeric character there is, you know, the computing power that's available now that's doable. Um, and you know, so if you think about, uh, I won't get into the statistical analysis of what the realities of, on, on how many more combinations you have to try with every digit, you know, every additional character that you add. But if you think about going from like an eight character password to a 10 character password and what that actually adds in terms of the amount of time to test every single possible combination of 10 alphanumeric characters versus mm. eight alphanumeric characters, it's massive. It's exponentially, mm. it's a logarithmic scale of how much more complicated, how much more time it takes to actually do that. Um, that's why longer passwords are better. Sure. Sure. Well, you brought up uh, email too. Huh. Um, that was the next one on my list I wanted it? to talk about. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it. Don't click on that email, right? I mean, that's the idea. If you well, don't know who it's from and, you know. That's one thing, right? They're getting trickier and trickier. Yeah. You know? Yeah, they're getting a little trickier, but spam filters are getting better too. Um, you know, so I kind of, I feel like most of that stuff kind of, stays for the most part where it is or even gets a little better um, at our ability to kind of stop some of those attacks. I think most often now you're getting um, the, the harder ones are the phishing mm -hmm. scams where right. it, you think it's legitimate and, and somehow, you know, so some sort of basic education for your employees on um, if know. you don't know for sure, like just don't give information away. Right. Right. If you've not mm -hmm. gone out and solicited something and said, I want to buy this from you, so I'm going to give you my, my, you know, credit card information or, um, you know, I know that I, I called this bank, right, to open an account and they need my social security number. You know, if they're calling you, I had that happen to me one time where um, a company called me. Uh, and it, and it turned out to be legitimate and I, I lost it on them because they called me and started asking me for personal, personally identifiable information to confirm that I was who, who I said I was. And I said, you called me, I'm not going to, now yeah. you're asking me for my social security number. <laughs> like they're like, no way it's yeah. not going to happen. Like right. I'm going to hang up the phone. I'm going to call the, the company, the number back that's listed on your website that I uh, know is legitimate. I'm sure. going to try to and, and make sure. And it turned out it was legitimate. And I said, you can't call your customers and start asking them to give you social security to, numbers. To tell, like you called me. Bad business I don't practice, need to yeah. now <laughs> give you my social security number to verify that I am the person that you wanted to call. Like that's right. horrible. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, 
that, and that's part of the problem, right? Is then you get legitimate organizations that don't follow some of those basic practices. You know, it's like the IRS telling you, we will never call you. We don't do that. Mm -hmm. We will send you a letter. Like that's what we do. Um, and that's their way of making sure that people know when it's a scam. Right. That if somebody calls you and says, claims they're from the IRS, they're not. It just doesn't happen. We don't do that. Right. Um, you know, and, and so you have issues with that where it's confusing because there are companies that do things that they really shouldn't do. Uh, and then that confuses consumers because now it's hard to tell what's legitimate and what's not because somebody asked me for something they really shouldn't have asked me for. And now I don't know the next time somebody does that if they're legitimate or if they're not. Mm -hmm. Um, but from an email standpoint, um, the the biggest issue we see with email is the amount of sensitive data that people choose to email us, even when they're specifically told not to, mm -hmm. is unreal, like unimaginable to me that when I tell you, okay, we're going to need a credit card, you know, I will call you or call me to give me your credit card information, do not email me your credit card information. Mm -hmm. And the, and they reply to that email with the name on their card, their card number, the expiration date, the security code, like everything. Mm -hmm. And email, there, there seems to be this idea that people believe like, well, I sent you an email, so that's between you and me and that's it and, and it doesn't go any further. And the bottom line is email is not secure ever. Mm -hmm. Right. It doesn't matter. Like once that email goes from you, from your computer to your mail server, you have no idea and no control over what happens to it after that. So understand that. That's basically like you saying, you know, I'm going to use a messenger to send my credit card information to somebody and I'm just going to write it on this piece of paper and fold it in half and give it to that guy. Mm -hmm. And I know when I gave it to him, he couldn't see it. But then what? Yeah. Right. He went to the store and made a thousand photocopies of it and gave it to all his buddies. And, you know, like mm -hmm. that's basically the equivalent of emailing your credit card information or passwords. Mm -hmm. How many times I get somebody that says, you know, when I say, all right, you know, we'll do, a, say, a remote session where I'll log into your computer. Uh, and uh, and so I can see what you're doing when you log into that account that you're having problems with or, or whatever. And the response is, well, here's my you know, here's what I'm trying to get into. Here's my username. Here's my password. Here's how to log into it. And I go, like, I did Don't not even. ask you for account information. I will never ask you for account information. That's part of our security policy here. We never will ask a customer for a password for anything. Um, but they send it in over email. And right. there's, you know, we could get into why it's not secure. I mean, that's, but the bottom line is we don't need to yeah. just understand that it is never secure. I have clients that I tell not to, to email me credit card information. And then what they'll do is they'll take a photo of their credit card <laughs> and email it to me uh -huh. thinking that's going to yeah. be more secure. Yeah. It's no. not. Right. Yeah. Now that's, um, uh, that's probably, I think that is the biggest between, you know, password is, stuff is one thing, but I think that's the biggest um, information security breach that we ever see, uh, especially on the small business side, but really not just on small, I mean, just across the board, people. Mm -hmm.
in general uh, is email and and the assumption that sending something via email is a private communication between me and that person is just wrong. You like, figure there'd be a uh, a big uh, push by credit card companies to avoid that type of fraud by informing people this, but I really never have even seen a, a promotion telling people the dangers of emailing your credit card information. Yeah. I've never gotten anything from a credit card company before. Yeah. I, I, you're right. I mean, you would think that at some point that would be save them some money. And I feel like and, they probably have bigger fish, fish to fry in terms of fraud, you know, with, with um, you know, card readers and the, you know, mm -hmm. with the skimmers, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that's probably where they're spending most yeah. of their money. But, um, but for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I even had, I've, <laughs> and kind of going back to, the, to this whole thing and talking about, um, you know, the combination of that and passwords and, and developers, I, I lost it one time, uh, on a, it was a service that we, I was trying to trial or I was looking into or something like that. And, um, it was, I registered for an account somewhere and then they sent me an automated email back with my password that I had set up in plain text I've heard that saying, oh, you know, thanks for registering for an account. Your username is this, your password is this. And I wrote back, I was like, are you kidding? Like, where, where did you go to school or where did you get, get your degree or even just like, it just horrible. And that stuff exists and it's, it's hard because yeah. it's, you know, then it's somebody does that and it's the password that they use everywhere for everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, somebody gains access to their email account and which happens again all the time. And then. There you go. They now they have that password that you use for your bank and for your, you know, and it's just mm -hmm. so do not email sensitive information ever, 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 ever. Yeah. <laughs> um the other one uh, uh from a from a business standpoint Another just kind of general tip, antivirus and security software, just make sure it's updated, you know, that you have it installed, that it's kept up to date. It really, you know, most stuff now should kind of ship with with some basic and a Windows, you know, finally um, release their own kind of malware and antivirus um, protection that comes shipped with Windows, you know, Windows Defender and, um, you know, stuff like that. Uh, but just make sure you got something that's on there and make sure it gets updated. You know, mm -hmm. that's, that's the biggest issue we see with that stuff is, um, uh, not only, and again, Windows, uh, itself is kind of taking steps towards preventing that with kind of forcing auto updates, which I, you know, as a, a user of those, machines i hate it mm. you know that all of a sudden my and they've changed it and it's and it works better now than it used to but when windows 10 first came out it was just okay well we're going to restart your computer right now in the middle of working on whatever and you stick on what and your computer restarts because they put running updates and they because uh -huh. but it's because it was such a big problem for so long that people never updated their machines like right. they just didn't um you know we had and and even to this day every once in a while i come across one but you know, three years after Windows end of life, Windows XP still had customers with Windows XP machines hmm. that were 
10 years old, 15, you know, whatever it was, because they just, I don't want to update it. I don't want to change. I don't want to, you know, do whatever. Right. Um, but, you know, the Windows has not issued any updates for this operating system for security and whatever in three years. Like right. you have to update it. You don't have a choice at this point. Mm-hmm. You got to buy something new. Um, so just keep them up to date. Run run your updates. Uh, keep your, your antivirus, your security software updated. Um, make sure that scans are automatically set up to run. Uh, you know, you can do that for, for your employees if you either make sure that they leave their computers on, you know, even just one night a week and, and, and automatically run a security update over that, or just make sure it runs during the day when you know the computer's on. Um, firewalls are another topic that you probably should talk about. I mean, um, from the standpoint of running a business, you should make sure you know what a firewall is. Um, you know, firewall in general, just by default blocks inbound traffic. So somebody trying to gain access to your network, right? Once you have an IP address and you're you if you're connected to the network, that's in, you know, a two-way connection. You can get out, but you can also get in. Um, a firewall basically by default says we're going to block everything unless you say otherwise. You know, no inbound traffic is going to get into your network unless you tell us that's valid, allowed traffic. Um, for most people, you don't have to really worry about it because uh, if, for example, if you have a router, if you're connected, you know, you have a, a cable modem, you know, you're connected to your cable company and then you have a router, um, a router will act as a firewall. It's a, oh, you know, basically is a hardware firewall. Um and most people also have, you know, Windows has built in, has software-based firewalls where they, they'll manage and monitor and block traffic. Um, so it's one of those things that I almost hesitate to talk about because people hear firewall and think it's this technical term that they're not going to know how to set up and configure and what they got to do and how to get mm-hmm. it. But for the most part, if you got a router as your perimeter device, which means it's kind of the first thing um, – that your internet connection comes into, and then that's how you, you're distributing your internet connection across your office. Um, you should be all set. Uh, you can take a step up by by buying a device that's specifically either like a small business router with a firewall built in. Um, most of the time, that's for people that want to do a little more advanced networking. Uh, you know, for a while, way back when I first started here and, um, you know, we were doing web design and development here before AWS really was a thing. And, you know, we use Microsoft Azure and stuff like that. But um, we used to host uh, staging, you know, websites when, bef- you know, development versions of websites, basically, as we were kind of working on them. Um, and so, you know, we, we had a fairly complicated setup where we had our internal network. We had a, you know, what we call a DMZ, which is like an intermediary network, you know, um, literally stands for demilitarized zone, but, um, kind of a standard term for like a less secure, uh, area that, can't really access your internal network, but your internal network can access that. And it's got some holes in your firewall punched in it to allow inbound access and stuff like that. So, you know, there are some instances where you might want something that's a little more complicated. Most of the time that would be because you have some sort of a technical reason for it, which means you probably have somebody that's technically competent enough to configure those and deal with it. So um, don't really worry too much about it. Just you know, know that you probably are already protected, but just make sure. Um, 
with that, we always also kind of make sure don't allow your employees or your customers or anybody else that comes into your your building to plug into your internal network. You know, they can't bring a, a personal device uh, unless you run entirely on, you know, like a BYOD, bring your own device policy where your employees have to supply their own computers and things like that. If you can't control the security, if you don't have control over that computer to make sure that it's not going to put something on your network that you don't want on your network and we see it happen all the time. One person downloads a virus by accident and installs it, and then it spreads its way through its network, through your network. Um, the only way for that to happen is for that computer to actually be connected to your network. So just as a general rule, a general security policy, policy, employees, customers, anybody else doesn't have access to your internal network. It's only devices that you have complete control over. Well, let me ask if, uh, I mean, because I do this all the time. If a client comes in with a USB flash drive, is that a compromise to security? Could be. If I'm downloading information from that flash drive online? It could be. Um, if something exists on that drive, right. right, that shouldn't. And, you know, for the most part, it's not something, and this is kind of where we talk about drawing a line. Yeah. Um, it's not something that's important enough for me to have done security training on because the likelihood uh, that somebody who's taking some files from their computer, putting it on a flash drive, bring it in here, you downloading just those files that that they wanted you to have, the likelihood that they're going to copy you know, a virus into that by accident and then you're going to accidentally copy that onto your computer and it's going to get inside is, is minimal enough where it's not something that we're going to be all that concerned about. Mm -hmm. um, but we do see a lot, uh, and I guess we can kind of then talk when I when we talk about you know people plugging into your network, wireless access. You know, obviously wireless access is important. It's fairly ubiquitous in in most companies, most businesses these days. Um, just make sure it's secured and encrypted. You know, there should be, you know, your for especially if it's on your internal network, um, it shouldn't be a password that you give out. That's why most routers have like a guest option. Um, and kind of ties back into a router acting as a firewall. If you have like, uh, you know, where you have the ability to have an internal setup and then like a guest access, use the guest access if you know you want people to be able to come into your office and connect to your Wi-Fi, use that. That's what it's there. That's exactly what it exists for because mm -hmm. it doesn't put them on your network. It puts them on their own subnet. They, you know, they're, you don't have to worry about the security issues at that point. So allow that to be found, give that password out to your, to your, you know, to people that are in your office or to, if you have employees that want to bring their own devices, whatever, that's right. what they can connect to internally, you know, yeah. I even say, you know, and, and we don't really follow this because we're kind of far enough away from anybody around here. But it is a good practice not to broadcast your SSID, which is, you know, when you go look at the available networks uh, that you can connect to. Mm. Those are all 
devices that are broadcasting, hey, I'm available, connect to me. Mm. Um, so it's a good idea just not to do that. And then that way everybody internally knows here's what our SSA, you know, the ID is. You just have to put that in rather than finding it automatically. Again, that kind of comes to the the compromise of security versus usability. Um, and, you know, we've kind of erred on the side of, you know, we have a, a complex network key that nobody's really going to guess. And and so, and again, we're, our building is far enough away from, you know, we're not in some shared office space or we're not in a, an apartment building where everybody can see everybody's, you know, wireless and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But, um, but just make sure it's secured, it's encrypted. Um, right. You know, those are important. Yeah, I know we do that internally. I give clients our 25 character password all the time <laughs> and that's for our guest <laughs> access too that's not even for for internal right um <laughs> yeah people yell at me here for <laughs> security reasons but again i think we're i think i i like to think that i do a good job of running the the uh, walking the line between the two but it, it does you know it makes things frustrating. And that's um, kind of getting back to the topic of passwords. One of the one of the problems we see a lot are passwords that are required to be changed like every three months or even like every month or whatever um, tend to be the ones that are the least secure because you'll get you basically get people that you can't remember that many passwords. Right. Right. And when you have to change it, once a month or once every three, however often it is, you end up using things that you can, that, you know, people end up using things that they don't remember, they can't remember. Uh, and as a way around that, they write it down. Mm -hmm. So you end up being far less secure because you're forcing somebody to do something that's not secure to try to actually then remember that password that they need in the first place. Right. Um, so you got to be realistic in that. You know, we we kind of force a, a password reset once every six months um, here, which, you know, again, it's one of those things where it's just kind of a, a default. Um, it's a little annoying when you have to do it, but it's not overly intrusive and we don't the the that whole requirement of you can never use the same password twice and stuff like that i for something like that you know we've just kind of made the determination that it's not that critical it's not that important here so you just got to change it once every six months and you ultimately could use the same two passwords and just swap them back and forth mm -hmm. um but you know kind of is what it is based on the level of risk that we see being involved there. Okay. But don't force people to change their passwords constantly because, you know, like I said, you either end up, they write it down or it goes from, you know, ASD123 to ASD124 to ASD125 to, you know, and it's just like, mm -hmm. you know, there's no real security there. They find something that they can easily remember or something that they have to write down and that's it. It becomes less secure rather than more secure. And don't make your password password. Yeah. The word password. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then the last, really, I guess the last two things that I want to talk about, one is, uh, PCI requirements. 
So we talked a little bit about sending, emailing credit card information, but for anybody that's not familiar, P PCI is the payment card industry. Um, so the, the PCI standards are uh, if you actually accept credit card payments, you are required to be PCI compliant. You have to follow certain data procedures, data handling procedures um, in order to continue to be able to accept credit card payments. And it's basically the credit card company of companies got together and said, you know, with all of the fraud that's out there, what are we going to do to try to limit that? And one of the things they did is they said, well, we're going to put our own set of requirements together that people need to follow. And if they don't, then we can revoke their ability to collect credit card payments. Um, there, it's PCI requirements are kind of a topic in and of themselves. Um, Ultimately, what it comes down to is making sure that you handle credit card information properly. And my general advice on that is just don't store them. Don't ask, you know, never ask somebody to send it in an email. Don't store them anywhere. As long as it's not on your system, you know, so use your, if it's your e-commerce platform or, um, you know, your your credit card um uh, you know, your payment processor, if they store them, let it be their responsibility to to handle that properly uh, so you don't have to worry about it. If you store credit card information, say, for example, like on a, um, on a server, you know, in a data file somewhere in a server in your office, there are uh, information security procedures that you need to follow. There are physical security procedures that you need to follow. You need to have um, biometric access to the physical machines where that stuff is is handled. So you need to make sure you have whether it's, you know, fingerprint readers and that's the only way that you can actually access that room, that, that service, you know, all that kind of stuff that nobody wants to deal with. Bottom line is if you don't store it in your building, anywhere, you don't have to worry about it. Um, that comes also with with um, paper. So if you if you have somebody that has to sign like a credit card authorization form and they fill out their credit card number uh, and you know all their credit card information and they sign it and you store that somewhere in your building, that means that wherever you're storing that needs to be PCI compliant. So that, you know, again, the cleaning company that comes in to clean the building doesn't have access to all of your your customers' credit card information. Um, and, and again, that's how data breaches happen is people that handle information improperly that you didn't, you know, you had no idea, you know, all of a sudden your credit card information's out there, somebody stole it. And usually it boils down to something like that, where you gave it to somebody that just didn't handle it properly and they had a disgruntled employee or, um, you know, somebody else that had access to the building that shouldn't have or access to the information that really shouldn't have. Um, and and as, a, as the provider, you're responsible for that. If the credit card, if if they can track that fraud back to you and the fact that you didn't actually do what you were supposed to do, then that's your responsibility. It's that it falls on you, uh, you know, whatever happened with those numbers because that breach came from you is on you now. Mm -hmm. um, so the bottom line, just don't store it. Don't store them anywhere. Uh, if you end up getting one, tear it up, shred them, Throw them in different. I mean, I when I cut up a credit card, I literally cut it up and throw pieces of it in different garbage cans. Or if somebody gives us a credit card number and we need to temporarily write it down, I do the same thing. It gets shredded and the shreds 
get spread out over different garbage cans. That's how much of a of a how OCD I am about data security. But um, just don't store them, right? right. And you yeah. don't have the problem. Uh, and then the last thing is just is train your employees. No, you know, have a written security policy. Train your employees on what those policies are and why. Make sure you explain why. When you don't explain why, that's when people feel like the stuff's not important and they don't have to follow it. When they understand, you know, how breaches happen and, uh, you know, just the, some of the stuff that we talked about, you know, that, well, you had a password written all of your passwords are written down next to your computer and they got access to your email account. And then once they had access to your email account, they have access to your entire life. Mm -hmm. You know, when people understand that, they're a lot more likely to follow those procedures sure. and be more careful about how they handle that stuff. Yeah, just direct them to this podcast. There you go. That'll explain it. Direct everybody to this podcast, <laughs> whether they, they need this information or not. <laughs> All right, that wraps up our data security, information security episode. I uh, really hope you made it all the way to the end of that one. I know it was a little longer than our, our episodes typically are, but um, really, really important information, really not just for businesses and small businesses, but for just people in general. Um, yeah, I honestly wish that it, we even had more time to kind of talk about it and go into it. That's how much, uh, how important that I think it all is. But um, so hope you made it to the end. Uh, please share this with anybody that you feel like could benefit from that information. Uh, as always, you can visit us online at messengers.blog. And thanks for joining us. Have a great day.